0: Some time this summer, just considering uh, random pieces of music, is what these are. Pieces of poetry that were inspired uh, by God to shape our faith, to shape our life, both as individuals in response to God, uh, but also as a community, as a church, in response to who God is and, and what He has done. And tonight we are going to look at two Psalms together. We're going to look at Psalm 2. And then Psalm 3. So I'm going to read them uh, both together. Beginning Psalm 2, verse 1. This is the Word of God. Why do the nations rage, and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, and against His anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, There is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. My glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me, be on your people. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the gift of this music, this poetry that your Spirit inspired and has given to us. Uh, we thank you for these words, but we acknowledge our struggle to grasp them, not only grasp them in the sense of intellectually understanding them, but grasping them in a way that they shape our hearts and our lives. So would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, come tonight, take this poetry off the page and put it in our hearts and in our minds and change us by it. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 3, verse 5 sounds really good to me. I lay down and slept. I'm a father of three young children. And between nightmares and stomach aches and emergency needs for hydration during the night... Sleep is a precious commodity. It's even more precious for my wife, uh, but it is precious in our house. And my guess tonight is that many of you, for many of you, Psalm 3 verse 5 sounds really good. And not just for those who are parents of young children, but for all of us. Because most of us come tonight in some way tired. Tired, maybe not because we didn't get our 8 to 10 hours every night this week. But tired, exhausted because of worry, because of disappointment, because of conflict. We come looking for rest. And this psalm says, I lay down and slept. What's remarkable about those words is not just that we can resonate and connect with them, but it is who said them and when he said them. So David, this great leader for God's people, Uh, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, so much promise attached to this king is the one who wrote these words, and he wrote these words at a time of life where all of the promise that was attached to him seemed to be false. It seemed to have disappeared. His son, his oldest son, the one who should have been his his heir, his favorite in many ways, had rejected him and had raised a rebellion against him. And so strong was the army that Absalom put together that David had to run from his own city, the city of Jerusalem, in order to save his own life. So his family was in shambles. His career had taken a sharp downturn. His life was in in danger. The nation that he loved and for which he was responsible was on the brink of a disastrous and bloody civil war. If ever there was a time for an all-nighter, this was it. If ever there was a time to stay up, this was it. And if not because of the emotional stress, then certainly because of the need for strategy of how are we going to respond to this threat. But what does David do? I lay down and slept. Where does that ability to rest come from? That's the question I want us to ask tonight as we consider these two psalms. And so, if you fall asleep during my sermon, you don't have to feel bad because you're applying my sermon, all right? <laughs> now, we're talking about a rest that is, that is deeper than just a, a night of sleep. Where does that kind of rest come from? The ability to lay down in sleep when everything is chaos and disaster around you. Where does that come from? Well, as we look at these two pieces of poetry, I think we can see that we will find rest in God's victory and in our prayers. God's victory and our prayers. First of all, God's victory. The sleep of Psalm 3 happens because of the conflict of Psalm 2. So Psalm 2 paints this picture of a world war, an international conflict. And on one side you have God and His claim to sovereignty, His claim of the right to rule over everything that exists, and you have with Him His anointed, His King. The human ruler that He has chosen to represent His agenda, not just for His people, but for the whole world. And then on the other side you have these nations, these kings, who see God's authority... As slavery. And so declare their independence. And and, uh, they conspire to rebel against him. They conspire to reject his rule over them. And the picture that Psalm 2 paints is a consistent one throughout the Bible. It goes all the way back to the garden when the serpent whispered in the ears of Adam and Eve. Did God really say that? Isn't God's authority over you too restrictive? Isn't it slavery? And so it seems from Psalm 2 and the rest of Scripture that these two communities, God and His anointed and His people, and these kings, all of humanity, organized in rebellion against Him, seem to be in perpetual Conflict. How does that put us to sleep? How does a song about this intense warfare lead to rest? Well, Psalm 2 shows us that this is a one-sided fight. This battle, this war is not a perpetual conflict of of rivals, of equals. It is a one-sided fight. Muhammad Ali, great boxer, famously told an opponent, if you even dream of beating me, you better wake up and apologize. Uh It's more or less God's message to his enemies here in Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is an ancient form of what we have come to know as trash talk. <laughs> In our day, athletes used it. In this day, armies used it. They used poetry like this, songs like this, to bolster their confidence and to scare their enemies. But when athletes and armies talk like this, we can hear it and know that there is Uncertainty in what they are saying. There's always the potential that they cannot back up their boast. As great a boxer as Muhammad Ali was, he wasn't undefeated. But when God talks this way, there is no such uncertainty. When He laughs at His enemies when he says to his king, you are my son and you will rule the nations, that decree is more than just a taunt. It is truth and it is inevitable. And we know that not only because of the truthfulness of God, because of the integrity of his word. We know that because this decree... You are my son. You will rule the nations. It was given to David, but not just to David as an individual, David and his descendants. And if you follow the line of David's descendants, and you follow all of his sons that this decree passes to, it leads you eventually to Jesus. It leads you into the New Testament. It tells us that Jesus was the greatest, the final descendant of, Of David. Psalm 2 is one of the most quoted Old Testament passages in the New Testament. Why? Because the earliest Christians read this poem and said that is what God is doing in Jesus. He is conquering his enemies. He is defeating. Injustice, and He is establishing His life-giving rule in all the earth. That is what God is doing in Jesus. So, in Acts chapter 4, Psalm 2 is connected to the cross of Jesus. And the church says there that at the cross, was the, that was the ultimate rising up of God's enemies against Him, like we hear in Psalm 2. The death of Jesus... But that was not the end of the story. If you look at then in Acts chapter 13, Psalm 2 is connected to the resurrection of Jesus. Because in the resurrection of Jesus, God defeated those enemies who rose up against Him. The resurrection is God confirming, You are my Son. The nations belong to You. You will bring justice and fill the whole earth with my righteousness. In Jesus' resurrection, God laughs at his enemies. And he guarantees the defeat of Satan and sin and death. And in his resurrection, we see the inevitability of God's decree that he will win. And all that is left is the question of how will we respond. On Wednesday of this week, I was sitting at my desk downstairs, and my phone buzzed, and it was an emergency alert. There's flooding in Tallahassee. And so I said, all right, and I put it back down, and I waited two minutes, and I looked to my left, and under the wall of my office comes creeping a pool of water flooding our basement, our dungeon, I don't know what we're calling it. Cave, I think, is the new term for it. And so I got on the phone, and, and I, uh, I called the, the Brew Bottoms, and they came to my rescue, and, uh, and they came armed with towels, and we had towels and a shop vac and some fans, and we began the war against this flood. And for a little bit, it seemed like we might win, the rain slackened a bit and the pool shrunk and then the torrent came again and our efforts proved futile. We had to give up and just get everything off the floor because we couldn't stop the flood. That is the way it is with the rule of Jesus. It is that flood, that pool of water filling the whole world And those who try to stand against it with all their claims to power and ingenuity, they're like me and the bottoms with our towel and our shop vac and our fans. God's reign is inevitable. How will we respond? We are all born into the conspiracy of these nations. In Psalm 2. We are born with the impulse. To see God's reign as slavery. And so to reject it. And to try to gain for us freedom. But the message of Jesus. The gracious message of the gospel. Calls us away from that destructive way of life. It calls us to bow before the one whose rule is inevitable. And what's beautiful about that call, and you see it in this psalm, you see, we think in terms, when we talk like that, we think in terms of obedience and disobedience. But that's not the contrast of this psalm. How does Psalm 2 end? All of this confrontational language, and that it ends with this beautiful statement, blessed are those who take refuge in Him. When we bow before Jesus, it's not just turning from disobedience to obedience. It is turning from rebellion to refuge. We bow before one whose rule is coming. And if we are in Him, that rule means for us life. And that's why we can rest, because of Psalm 2. That's how this war song brings rest into our life. Because the ultimate victory of God through Jesus is our ultimate security. Does not mean that everything in our life will go the way we want it to. It does not mean that we will not have pain and struggles. But it means that if we are in Him, when His reign does fully and finally come, it, we will have peace and safety. Jesus takes the battle hymn of Psalm 2 and He turns it into a lullaby. Because He wins, we can sleep. Because He wins, we can find rest in the midst of all the chaos around us. But here's the problem. That's true, and I think most of us in this room would see that as true. Some of you might struggle with it, and that's okay, and we'd be happy to talk about that. But while we may see that as true, we don't feel that as true. Life doesn't feel that way, Right? Life does not feel like the reign of Jesus, the reign of justice and life is coming all the time. Alright? We know the strength of our own sinful desires. We can look around us and see the prominence of evil, of wrong, of pain and suffering. So what do we do with that? What do we do with the truth God's reign is inevitable, but the experience that God's reign seems imperceptible. Well, we realize that rest comes not only from God's victory, but it comes from our prayers. Notice in Psalm 3, at the beginning of that poem, David does not ignore the pain of his circumstances. He does not pretend like things are not bad. He does not pretend that everything is rosy and fine, that God promised good things and so, hey, everything's okay. No, he he tells God the truth. He says, God, look at all of my enemies. They are mocking me, they are saying, No salvation for you. You are having to run from your son who is trying to kill you and take your kingdom. God is not with you. And David acknowledges that. He acknowledges the struggle of where he is. But he takes that experience, and what does he do with it? He turns it into a cry. Verse 4 everything's going crazy. What does he do? I cried to the Lord. And notice that his cries come before his sleep. He prays, and then he sleeps. Why? Why why is he able to do this? I want you to notice a connection between these two pieces of poetry. And so look with me one more time at Psalm 2, verses 6 and 7. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the, the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Now hold that in your mind and look with me then to Psalm 3, verse 5. I lay down and slept. How was he able to lay down and sleep and cry to the Lord? Oh, I'm sorry, Psalm, or verse 4 is what I'm looking for. He says, I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy Hill. You see the connection? David says this, that God answered him from his holy hill during the middle of his situation. Not at the end of his situation when everything is made right. In the middle of the chaos, he says, God answered me from his holy hill. So, in your mind, see this story. David is running, he's fleeing. And he looks back to Jerusalem this city that he has built. And he sees in Jerusalem a symbol of what God had said to him, that God had said to him, you are my son. Today I have begotten. He sees in Jerusalem a symbol of the commitment that God had made to him, the love that God had guaranteed to him. And so what he does is he takes the promise of Psalm 2 and he turns it into prayer in Psalm 3. He takes the promise of God that says, You are my king, you will rule the nations. And he applies it to his situation and he says, God, that is not happening. What you guaranteed to me, what you promised to me, what Jerusalem stands for is not happening. And so intervene. He cries out to God because of the promises of God. And that leads him to rest. That leads him to sleep. The music of Psalm 2 produces the music of Psalm 3. The promises of Psalm 2 produce the prayers of Psalm 3. Because David sees what God has said, and he acknowledges his troubles. His troubles are real, but for him, the promises of God are more real. And so he prays, and then he sleeps. I mentioned being a young dad and lacking sleep this week. I got woken up. This week, uh, in the middle of the night, Georgia had had a nightmare and she woke up crying. And I noticed something about when my children wake up crying, sick or with a nightmare, they don't just cry, they cry names. They say, Mommy, Daddy. Why? Because of the relationship that we have with them their trust in us is bigger than the pain and the fear that they are experiencing in that moment. They know where to take their pain and their fear, and it leads them back to sleep. If you are in Jesus, God says, my son of David... He says, my son of Jesus. But if we are in him, he also says to us, my sons and daughters. My children. Revelation 2 takes the poetry of Psalm 2 and applies it not just to Jesus, but to us. That if we last by faith in Jesus, we will conquer. And because of those promises, because of that relationship, we can take our experience, that experience of worry, that experience of disappointment, that experience of conflict, and we can turn it into prayer. We can take our nightmares not just the ones we dream but the ones we live and we can cry out Father we can know that he hears us that he intervenes in our life because of those promises we can go to sleep that is where we find rest deep rest It is in who God is for us in Jesus Christ. So are you tired tonight? Do you come looking for relief, for rest? Would you by faith come to Jesus and know in Him that God wins of that cry out to him and go to sleep let's pray father we thank you for the almost unbelievable guarantees that you have given to us through Jesus Christ The promise that your reign will fill this earth and make everything new. And the promise that if we are in Jesus by faith, we will be a part of that. We will find life in that. You will heal us, restore us, and remake us. What what incredible gifts. We thank you for those words that you have spoken to us, that you have spoken about us but we need help we want help to see those to embrace those to be lifted up by those and to find rest in what you have said to find rest in the inevitability of the rule and reign of Jesus and to find rest in the truth that we can take our struggles and we can turn them into prayer. Know that you hear us. Would you lift us up? Would you encourage us? And would you teach us to rest in the truth of the gospel? pray all of that in Jesus' name. Amen.